Amen, amen. Welcome. Glad you're here. I'm Ashley. I'm the campus pastor at our new Malden campus. Uh, some of you I may know. Some of you, maybe a lot of you I may not. That's okay. Um, good, to, good to be with you today. Honored to be here. Dallas is actually there for me. I'm here for him. So uh, I'm excited about today. We finish out our series on Revive. We will be in Psalms 42 and 43. So if you have your Bibles, you can scroll there or turn there. Uh, the passage will all also um, be on the screen. One initiative, as you just saw on the videos coming, it's going to be something that is instrumental for First Baptist Simpsonville Upstate Church, all of our locations for the next two years. We're excited about it. God's leading us into some um, really crazy things, but we think godly things uh, led by Him. So uh, excited uh, for that, excited that you get a chance to be a part of that. So be in prayer for that. Uh, as that gets rolled out uh, to the church, church-wide, in the next few weeks. Uh, excited about that. Um, so, uh, as we move into this morning, I wanted to begin with this thought. Some of you are familiar with this statement. It's been around for a long time. It's by a guy named St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers. Love this statement. It kind of shapes where we're going this morning. Uh, it says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Uh, today, as we talk about being restless, uh, it leads to uh, times in our life, maybe some of you in, in the room this morning uh, or in this season of life where there's a dryness, there's a drought. Um, you, you don't know where God is. You haven't felt God in a long time. If you were to guess, God feels a million miles away. Um, and this morning, we're going to be challenged not to remain there. Let me just say this for just a minute, try not to take too much time, but I think it's important. Um, not to remain in that dryness, not to stay where we are, not to be content with feeling that far away from God. Some of you in the room may be there now. You can't remember the last time you were moved, right, by God's Word, by, God's, uh, by, by the leading of worship which Luke and Molly and the team just do a great job, and at our campuses they do a great job leading us in worship. But man, if you had to sit here and think about the last time you felt literally moved in your spirit by God working, unmistakably God working in your life, you can't remember when that is. You don't know the last time. And listen, as a child of God, that's not okay. That's not okay to be okay with the drought with the dryness, because here's what will happen. Eventually it leads to deadness. God challenges us to respond to those periods of dryness in our life by not being content with where we are and also by turning our eyes to Him and seeking His face. And we're going to see that this morning in 42 and 43. And I'm grateful for that. So renew is the title of our time this morning. God, God wants to renew your heart if you are there. I've been there. I've followed him long enough to where I've gone through dry seasons. I've experienced drought. He's felt a million miles away, and he has been faithful to renew. And listen, the, the, the promise is that he is faithful to renew you if you give yourself to him today, right? And so we're going to be looking at that today. And so renew is the is the title. So renew means this. Before we get to Psalms 42, renew means this, among other things, to revive, to reestablish, to restore to a former state, to become new or as if new again. And again, let me stop there. There may be some of you in the room this morning that haven't been made new yet. 
What do I mean by that? That means you're still dead, as Romans describes it, in your trespasses and sins, and you need life. You may be here this morning, and when I ask the question about when is the last time you felt God near, you can never remember a time. Maybe your heart's never been made new. Maybe you are still in spiritual deadness. And the great thing and the great word about that is that today, Scripture says, is the day of salvation. Today, God can bring new life. But maybe you've been in, in the valley, so to speak, a long time. You've not been uh, close to God, or it hasn't felt like you've been close to God for a long time. So the prayer also is to be made new again, to be renewed. At some point in our life, we all need to be renewed. Seasons of desperation, seasons of anxiety, seasons of tension and empty promises of satisfaction that we all look for drain us of the life God not only offers but provides. We look for it in everything else but Him many times. And in doing so, it causes dry seasons, drought in our life. This morning in Psalms 42 and 43, desperation, tension, and the need for genuine renewal are front and center for the psalmist. And will be our theme as well. So let's read together, starting in verse 1 of chapter 42 of Psalms. It says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Chapter 42. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your arresting truth, your challenging truth, your word 
that lets us see into the heart, into the emotion, into the mind of the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43. But it also goes way beyond that because it, it penetrates our own hearts. It arrests our own thoughts and minds. Because many in the room today may be in this place that the psalmist was. Where the question they have is, God, why have you forgotten me? I have no idea where you are. I haven't felt your presence ever, or it's been a long time since I've been in your presence. And so today as we look at Psalms 42 and 43, my, my prayer is, is that you would challenge our hearts and our minds to understand this is not where we should be. But I, I believe in my heart that it, it is essential for us as Christ followers to go through these seasons in order to challenge our own faith and to believe in you in a more powerful way. You lead us through these times, and there's a right way to respond to it and a wrong way. I pray today that we see from your word and the time that we have this morning that we understand the right way to respond during times of drought and dryness and deadness. What we, what we, what we do not have, I pray you would give us what, what we do not know Help us learn that and what we are not yet creating us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, a couple of thoughts. This is the picture of a man, Psalms 42 and 43. This is a picture of a man who has lost touch with God. He's in a dry and in a weary place. Let me just say this as an aside. If you haven't picked up on it yet, I'm a little bit different than Dallas when it comes to style. That's okay. We're all a little different. Right, we'll still get to the same spot, but we may not use as many RPMs uh, to get there, okay? So just bear with me, take a lot of notes, we'll get there, but style is a little different, that's okay, I'm, I'm grateful for that. The psalm is a song written by the sons of Korah. If you go up and look at the title, Psalm 42, you'll see, written by the, son, the sons of Korah. Now the sons of Korah we know from Second Chronicles, also in the Old Testament, chapter 20, this was a professional music group that led worship in the temple. All right, so this was a song written to be performed, to be sung by the sons of Korah in the temple. The writer describes a spectrum of spiritual recession as we go through 42 and 43. And Tim Keller points this out, which I love how he treats this, and he gives this spectrum from dryness to drought to darkness to deadness. Dryness, drought, darkness, deadness. That's the spectrum. That's the recession. That's the progression, if you will, of dryness in our life, of being away from God. If we do not seek Him again and ask for Him, God, be near again. Draw me back to You. Get my eyes off of where I am and onto You. That's the progression of that. The writer gives no indication he did anything wrong to cause this dryness and this darkness. Now, obviously there are times in my life and in your life and in the psalmist's lives when guilt comes because there's some sort of sin that caused a dry season in our life. That doesn't seem to be the case here. But let me just say this. It may be the case for you this morning. That there is a, there is a, there is a sin in your life, and you're well aware of it, but you've chosen to remain in it. And because of that, you can't remember the last time you've been close to God. That would be where I would start, is addressing that known sin in your life. And if you can't address it yourself, find somebody to help you with it. That will always interrupt the relationship we have with God. You will never feel that nearness of Him as you could feel if you were in a right relationship with Him. But from, a, from that standpoint, we have no indication that the psalmist here has gone through that, has, has, has uh, committed 
some sort of sin to interrupt that relationship with God. There's just a dryness here. There's a distance. The point, we will all experience the drought described here, and because of that, we will all need to be renewed. All of us will experience this at some point. You may be going through it now. You may have been through it before. If not, you will go through it, because I think these times are essential in our life for God to build in us what he wants to build in us. We don't, need to, we don't need to try to find a way around them or fix them ourselves so we don't feel this way anymore. We need to learn how to go straight through them with our eyes on God and let Him create in us what only He can create. Or the other category this morning, you may know somebody who is there, someone in your family, a friend, someone who doesn't know Christ, and all they can talk about is how far away God is or there's no way I can understand a God who can be close to me. They've never experienced that. Man, this would be for them. And I would encourage you to speak to them about what you hear this morning. Maybe give them an encouraging word. So here's what I want to do this morning. I, and you can take these notes in your app if you have the app. If you have, like my wife, she likes a notebook and a pen and paper. She's a teacher. She likes to write stuff down. So that may be you. Um, I'm going to give you a few things this morning you can write down that would help as we go through these dry periods. This is going to sound like a lot, but stay with me. It's not going to be. We're going to tick through these pretty quick. I'm going to give you three stages to recognize from Psalms 42 and 43 of spiritual renewal. Three stages. I'm going to give you four causes, and I'm going to give you three cures. Okay, I, I told you, it sounds like a lot, but stay with me. I got my timer up here. I'm good. All right, three stages, four causes, and then three cures. And the four causes and three cures come from a guy named uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. You may be familiar with him, but it has a great treatment of this called Spiritual Depression, a book I would recommend to you to keep in your library. Uh, does a great job of unpacking 42 and 43, and I'm going to pull, adapt some of the things he has said for, for that part. So let's go back to the first stage, which is the desperation that we feel. Let's look in Psalms 42 again. Let me read a, a few verses here that kind of explain and show us this desperation that we see in the psalmist as he writes. He says in verse 1 of uh, of chapter 42 as a deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you O god my sir, my soul thirsts for you for the living god when shall i come and appear before god my tears have been my food day and night drop down to verse 7 deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls all the breakers in your ways have gone over me and then that down in verse 9 i say to god my rock why have you forgotten me why do I go morning on morning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Now let's just observe a few things in these verses. And, and, and let, me, let me give a couple of words of explanation for these as I go through them. So uh, first thing you see is a, a verse a lot of us are familiar with, as the deer pants for the water. There's been songs written about that verse, right? As the deer pants for water. Now this is a simile here depicting the need for water. The deer doesn't wait until it's desperate for water to drink. No, no deer will wait until it's desperately panting for water before it goes and finds a brook of water, stream to go to and drink. They don't, the animal doesn't wait to that point. So the emphasis here is clear. Uh, the deer is looking for water, but he finds none. So the emphasis is not on the deer panting as much as it is. He goes to look, or it goes to look for water and can't find any. And he's, the psalmist is using this to illustrate his desire to, to, to want God near to him again, to bring him out 
of this dry season to renew him, but as he goes and he tries to find water, he can't find it. It's not there. There's no water to drink. Moving on down, it says, uh, tears are my, are my food day and night. The metaphor helps us understand how significant the psalmist's desperation is. He's not eating. Tears are our food. Um, it's been a, I think it's been a while since I've tasted my tears. I can't really remember right now the last time I may have tasted. But it's not, it's not satisfying. It's not fulfilling when you taste your tears. The psalmist is saying, the, the tears are my food day and night. So he's also not sleeping. He's not eating or sleeping. Now, just so you know, maybe you've gone through this. Maybe it's been in your family. Maybe it's been in your life. Th- those, both of those things are, are clinical uh, indicators uh, or, or indicators of clinical depression. Someone's not eating and they're not sleeping. That's where the psalmist is. This is very practical to where we are. He couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. He was that far away. He was that restless. He was in that much of a dry, dead place to where even when he wanted to drink, he couldn't find God. God, where are you? And he continues on in there. He says, deep calls to deep, the roar of your waterfalls. Breakers and waves have gone over me. Typically, we think this to be, uh, in fact, a a song that we may have uh, sung today talks about God's love rushing over us like like a wave. That's not what this is talking about. This is not something that's encouraging to the heart. What he's talking about here is a picture of being completely submersed, unable to catch a breath, and completely disoriented. Have you ever been to the beach before? You've gone out into the water and you've had a wave just crash over you, and it completely flips you off of whatever you are on, or it turns you over, you're underwater completely. You really don't know which way is up. And then you finally figure out that way is up. You start to get up to the top of the water to get a breath, and guess what happens? Another wave crashes over you. That's a desperate situation to be in. When we can't get a breath and we don't have any idea which way is up. The psalmist is describing his spiritual condition this way. I don't know which way is up. I can't get a breath. God, where are you? Why have you forgotten me? It's a desperate situation that he's in. And then he goes on. Why have you forgotten me? Like a wound in my bones. My enemies taunt me. They say, where is your God? The feeling of abandonment by his God at a time of desperate need is more than the psalmist can endure. He is desperate for God to rescue him from his enemies who ridicule him, providing constant pain and anxiety like a deadly, incurable wound. A wound to my bone. A Band-Aid is not going to fix it. Right? Some antibiotics are not going to do the job. Stitches won't even help. This is something deep down to his bones, and it continuously reminds him of his condition. If you've ever been that sick, or if you've ever had that type of wound where it never goes away, no matter what you do, that's what the psalmist is describing. As his restless, dry separation or feeling of separation from God. It is a desperate spirit. Uh, spot to be in that's the first stage the desperation we feel the second stage is this the tension we face the the competing statements the statements that are seemingly opposite of one another let's read a couple of those here in verse four it says these things i remember i pour out my soul how i would go he describes going up with with the community to worship god in the house of god 
with, with shouts of song and praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And then immediately he goes from remembering that to asking this question, why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Some of your translations may say, why are you disquieted within me? I love how that, that translates that. Completely opposite. Very anxious, tension between those two statements. He says also in verse 8, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And this is what he says right after that statement. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Completely opposite statements. On, on, on polar op- they're polar opposites of each other. But yet he says it in the same sentence. The tension that he faces here. The anxiety that he's going through. Then again in verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. So he goes from asking himself, why are you so downcast, to immediately saying, hope in God. This is someone who is fighting against those constant feelings of being abandoned by God, of trying to figure out where is God. Verse 4, these things I remember, why are you downcast? The psalmist moves from a mountaintop experience of community worship, Okay, the church, we just had a, a moment of worship as the team led us. He goes from that, remembering that, to the internal, isolated struggle of feeling abandoned. He immediately goes from remembering how good it was to understanding where he is right now. The tension of what used to be and the reality of what is. That's the constant battle in his mind. And I would say for us as a child of God, many of us have sometimes those constant battles. One moment, God, you are my rock. The next moment, why have you abandoned me? We wrestle with that. He says, by day, love, by night, a song, a prayer to the God of my life, and then immediately, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? The back and forth of the psalmist with himself. Day and night, he expresses love, and his song is in his heart. Then the reversal. Then the immediate opposite statement, the tension of feeling forgotten and left to his own grief. Why are you downcast? Again, the writer continues the conversation with his own soul. He, listen, he is not content to allow his thoughts and emotions to dictate the content of his faith. We'll get to more of that in just a minute. He is not content to remain where he is. He is preaching to his heart. And we're going to talk about what that means in just a minute. He is talking to himself. In a good way, right? Not in a, not in a bad way, right? In a good way. He is talking to himself. He is preaching to himself. So we've looked at the desperation we feel, the tension we face. And then thirdly, we see in Psalm 43, the renewal that we do need, the, the correct, the right renewal. Let me just mention a couple of things here in verse 1 of chapter 43. It says, vindicate me, defend my cause. This is the psalmist speaking now to God. Deliver me, the movement from, listen, this is important. The movement from self-examination right, to Godward pl- proclamation is, 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 is beginning ever so slightly. He's moving in chapter 42 of looking inwardly, of examining himself, of figuring out what's going on inwardly, to now in 43 we begin to see the movement away from looking here to looking there. The proclamation of who God is. And it is a a sign to us, it is direction to us on how we, in those situations, in those seasons of dryness, need to move our gaze from here to here. So we again find ways out of that, 
of what God wants to do. Hope in God, he tells his soul. He says, he says the psalmist makes his, his case on the basis of God's justice, fairness, righteousness, and the ability to act as he so desires. He says, send out your light in verse 3 of chapter 43. Let them lead me. Instead of desperation, instead of tension, instead of anxiety, anxiety, being the motivating factors in your life. Instead of those things dictating what your day looks like, what your week looks like, what your year looks like, anxiety, desperation, he moves it away from that to God, let your truth. Man, what a statement. Let your truth guide me. Let your light lead me. So he's beginning to move, as you can see, his eyes from here, after he understands where he is, to now God help, right? God is the source of my hope. Dispelling the light from chapter 42. Now begin to lead me, he says. And then verse 4 of chapter 43, he goes back to worship. In your holy hill, your dwelling, I will go to the altar of God, and I will praise you. Gone are the empty remembrances of pleasant community from chapter 42. He remembered what it used to be. He's moving on from that. Now the movement is forward. Expectantly, the presence of God, expecting the presence of God, lifting praise to him for his renewal of his soul. It's as if now his gaze is fixed on God. I love Tim Keller when he says this, the more you and I look at him, the more you and I become like him. And it's a very true statement. The more you and I look at him instead of our own introspection, the more we look at Him, the more we become like Him. And it's a part of that process of understanding uh, or, or, or moving beyond, I should say it that way, the drought, the dryness into that nearness of God. So, a couple of things, and then we'll finish here in just a minute with the, with the causes and the cures. The psalmist gives us a deep dive into the internal and the external, external spiritual wrestling of a God, or I'm sorry, of a child of God, experiencing drought of God's presence and provision. This is what this is. He's painted a picture for us. This is what this looks like. Someone going through these, this dry season. This is what it looks like. And you may have res some of these things may have resonated with you because you are there or you have been there. I have felt that. I have asked that question, God, where are you? Why do I continue to grieve? Why do I continue to mourn? Why don't you answer the prayer the way I've asked? Some of you may have been there. In the modern era, in our culture today, you may have given this kind of advice. You may have received this kind of advice. But we hear all the time this repeated message. Listen to your heart. Follow your heart. And even answering the question, what does your heart tell you? Those aren't bad questions in and of themselves. But here's the, here's the danger in that. Your heart is deceitfully wicked, as Jeremiah says. If you wake up, let me just say this. If you wake up every morning and the first thing on your mind is what does my heart tell me to do today? If I were to do that, I would be in dangerous territory during my day. If I allowed my heart to dictate my day and how I was going to follow my day. So I don't think it's, those are bad things in and of themselves. But listen, the first step is to what? Delight yourself in the Lord. And then what does he do? Give us the desires of our heart. There's a step before following your heart, and it's giving ourselves fully to God, letting Him lead us, delighting ourselves in Him. That's where we should start with that. 
In a nutshell, Psalms 42 and 43 illustrates not only the folly, the nonsense, the futility of this approach in dealing with spiritual desperation, spiritual dryness and tension that we battle during, during these periods. It also, I think, gives us a pathway towards true spiritual renewal. And I'm going to talk about those as we begin to um, land the plane, to use that overused cliche, okay, <laughs> to land the plane. Causes and cures. Again, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, who was a medical doctor before he became a pastor years ago, uh, touched on these, and I want to use some of that as we end. So I want to give you four, excuse me, four causes, and then we're going to look at three cures. I'm going to click through these pretty quickly. The first cause um, is temperament. The first cause is temperament. We should never, let me just say this, we should never dilute the, the deep root of spiritual dryness and depression to disposition or personality traits. Please don't, please don't hear me saying that. It, in other words, because of the way you're wired, you're just more wired to be in drought, dryness, deadness, depression. I'm not, I'm not saying that because I don't think it's true. Okay? But at the same time, we should be aware of who we are. We should know who we are. We should know how we're wired. We should be aware if we fall into two large groupings. Extrovert, introvert, at the very least. You, sh you should know. I'm wired this way. I'm an extrovert. Okay? I'm wired this way. I'm an introvert. Now, me, I'm here. I'm, I'm this guy. I'm the introvert. Okay? I'm the guy who's okay with going to a movie by himself and sitting on the back row and eating my own popcorn and enjoying myself. Okay? Not only am I okay with it, I actually plan those times. So it goes way beyond just being okay with it. Okay? That's how I get recharged. There's some, sometimes when I talk to Carrie, my wife, where I just say, I'm just... I'm just peopled out. I just don't have anything left. Right? You may be that introvert person where that's you. You just need some time. Give me a corner and a dark room and a book. But you also may be the person, if you're an extrovert, that kind of thing would drive you nuts. You'd rather hear somebody put their fingernails down a chalkboard than to be by yourself at a movie eating your own popcorn. That's just not you either. Isn't it amazing how God pulls those personalities together sometimes in marriage? I mean, Carrie's that way, I'm here, but somehow it works, right? So, um, at least know yourself well enough to know you're in one of those two camps and how these temperaments affect how we respond, listen, to internal and external circumstances. Because you're going to respond to those different ways based on one of those two temperaments. And it may result in a dry season of life and the need to be renewed based on how you respond to it. So at least know yourself well enough to know you're in one of those two, okay? Do you know yourself? Do you know your particular tendencies? We should be self-aware enough through self-examination. Now, introspection and self-examination are different things. Let me just define them this way, and I'll move on to the second cause. We cross the line between self-examination and introspection when, in a sense, okay, in this sense, we do nothing but examine ourselves, and when such self-examination becomes the main chief end in life. In other words, all you want to do is try to understand yourself. You put your heart on a plate, so to speak, and you dissect it but you leave it there. That's introspection. That's not what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about examining our hearts, but then moving our eyes away from here, as Psalms 43 shows us, towards Christ, who is our hope, who is the one that fixes. So we've got to move beyond introspection. It should be self-examination, and then moving on to the second cause, physical conditions. Now here's all I want to say about this. There are certain physical conditions. There are certain ailments that are more prone to spiritual depression, spiritual dryness, 
than others, more conducive to produce dry seasons in which renewal is necessary. I'm not saying that because you have this ailment, this temperament, this condition, that you're always going to be spiritually dry. That's not what Scripture's saying, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying some of those are more prone to do it. So be aware. Physical condition is an important part of understanding spiritual dry seasons and understanding how we come out of it. The greatest and the best of Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than any other time in their life. Understand where you are, physically. Third, a a reaction to an event. Let me say it this way. Some sort of great blessing or some sort of exceptional experience. Mountaintop, right? Mountaintop experience. I'm at youth camp. Left youth camp, came back home down in the valley, right? Those mountaintop experiences, then back to reality, so to speak. We have to be aware of those. those. Those can many times cause dry seasons in our life where we are always wanting the mountaintop experience. Right? Last, in an ultimate sense, the true source of all dryness is the, is the enemy, is the devil, is the adversary, always working, shooting those fire arrows, always at the, at the ready to take us down when he can. The devil's one object is to, do, is to so listen, this is, <laughs> this is so great. This is by Lloyd-Jones as well. I Give them credit for that. He says this, his one object, the adversary's one object, is to so depress God's people as to go to the world and say to the world, while looking back at God's depressed people, is that really what you want? That is his goal and his chief aim, is to cause that kind of thing among God's people where he can look at a godless generation and then look back at God's church, his bride, and say, is that really what you want? That's not what God's called us to. We've got to move beyond the dryness. Now, let me give you three cures, and we'll finish this. The first cure to this, and we see it in the Psalms, take yourself in hand, as Lloyd-Jones says, or arrest your thoughts, say it that way. Take the familiar saying, get a hold of yourself, Literally. The psalmist does not accept things as they are. He sets a course and he does something about it. He's not okay to be where he is. He understands there's something better than this. And then he locates that something better in God. Not in other people or other things. His focus is on Christ and God bringing hope. Secondly, preach to yourself, literally. We see in verse 5, then in 11 of 42, and also in verse 5 of 43, the writer speaks to himself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? He's talking to himself, to his heart. One of the consistent causes of spiritual dryness and darkness is the tendency to allow ourselves, our heart, our mind, our emotions, listen, to convince us of all sorts of untrue, unbiblical things. Allowing our emotions and our heart to tell us things that are completely against what God's Word says and has clearly said. Arrest those thoughts. Take those thoughts in hand. Preach to yourself. There's a book by a guy named David Murray called Reset. He says the very first thoughts of our day, says those very first thoughts of our day, we, we, we have, when, in other words, when we wake up, those very first thoughts we have when we awake will shape the rest of your day. So, for you, and for me, this is a challenge. Is it picking up the phone and looking at social media the very first thing you do before you get out of bed? Is it responding to a text? Is it an email? Is it the TV? 
is it something besides setting your mind? I'm not talking about going into your prayer closet for 30 minutes as soon as you get out of bed. But I'm talking about setting your mind on something God wants you to set your mind on. It will shape the rest of your day. If you'll begin to preach to yourself and accept that and understand, man, I want to set my day this way, God will honor that. Lastly, remind yourself of God, who He is, what God has done, and what He has promised to do. And defy the deadly arrows of unbelief. I love the statement from the, the, the Father in Mark chapter 9 when Christ was coming to him and he asked him to heal his son. And he said, can you do this? And Christ's response was, can I do this? Of course I can do this. All things are possible with God. And then the man looks back at God, looks back at Jesus, and he says this, I believe, help my unbelief. I love that statement because I believe that's exactly where many of us are many times in our life. One statement is a statement of belief. The next statement is a statement of unbelief. Where we, under, we, we, don't, we don't understand exactly what God is doing, but I believe no matter what. I want to end with this, this statement, the, the final thought. Profound belief in the renewing presence of God is produced in the crucible of unbelief. Profound belief in the renewing presence of God is produced in the crucible of unbelief. In that statement, I believe, help my unbelief, we are all there at times in our life. Our trust has to be in what God wants to continue to do in us, but it only occurs many times when we're going through that suffering, that crucible, that dryness. Letting our eyes move from here to there and trusting and hoping in God. Let me ask you this question and then we'll close in prayer. What is your solution to the drought, the, the drought, the dryness in your life. What is your solution to that? You've been away from God for a long time. You've been in a dry place for a long time. What's your solution? How are you getting out of it? Are you content to stay there? Have you learned to live there so long that it's just normal to you? Psalms 42 and 43, if nothing else, encourages and challenges us to move out of that dry place. Set our hope on Him. And the more we look at Him, the more we become like Him. So I'd encourage you to respond that way today. Maybe you need to come out of that dry place and give that to Christ and give that to God. Let Him renew you. Let Him renew your heart. Let Him, as a song we're about to sing, show you His glory and bring you out of that. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for the challenge from Psalms 42. Thank you for the opportunity to, be, to, to learn, to be challenged to understand that you are, you, are, you are near even though it doesn't feel like you are, that you are present even though it doesn't feel like you are, and there are times we go through dry seasons in life where you're wanting to teach us something about you that we could not have learned otherwise. And so that I believe, help my unbelief is a real thing in our life, but help us not to be content to stay there, to move out of that. And the way we do that, the way we understand who you are, the way in which we put ourselves in a position for you to show us your glory is to move our eyes from ourselves to you. And maybe that needs to happen in hearts and minds this morning. And if so, I pray that that is, that is the response, that they are obedient to your leading. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.